We're going to continue this morning on our journey through Route 66. We had a couple of quick stops and through the book of Genesis. But just to refresh your mind, the first five books of, of the Old Testament are known as the books of the law. Uh, Jesus refers to uh, them as the books of Moses. They've been uh, called the Torah, the Pentateuch. And uh, we walked through Genesis. Uh, we ran through Genesis. And uh, we see the foundation of God's work as creator, redeemer. We see all of the formation that took place. We read of the fall of man, sinfulness and disobedience that came into the world. Righteous God sent a flood into this uh, world. But man's uh, plight into sinfulness was not without hope. In Genesis uh, 3.15, we see that God has given the, the hope and Jesus is the seed of the woman, and he is our hope. Key verse was Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And as I said there, if you can believe this, you can believe the rest of the Bible. Creation by whom? God. How? God spoke. When? We're not sure, but he spoke, he spoke it into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creation teaches us about God. He is creator. He is distinct from his creation. And he's eternal, and he's in control of the world. God reveals himself through his creation, through his word, but ultimately the greatest revelation of, of our God was found in the incarnation of Jesus Christ when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we look through the scriptures and we see that God continues to reveal himself to us. But creation teaches us about ourselves. We are created by God. We are valuable in his eyes. We are created in his image, and there's none, none of the rest of creation can, can uh, have that claim given to it. And so we see through those scriptures that God is the plan. He is the God of providence. He is the God who is faithful to his words and to his promise that despite man's sinfulness, he has a redemptive plan that will not be stopped. And that plan still is taking action. It's still in process. So that was the look at the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And so we're, we're, we're going to our, uh, let's say our first checkpoint along the route today. If Genesis was the beginning, we're, we're starting to look into the book of Exodus, where we will be for the next couple of weeks. In a word, uh, well, let me ask you. If what word comes to your mind when you think of the word Exodus? Migration, okay. Escape. Okay, exit. Okay, good. Anybody different? Long journey. Okay. Well, those are all, all correct. I mean, we were looking at, looking at this, and there certainly are a number of words uh, that, that come to my mind. Exit, departure, deliverance. Uh, but I think the word that we're going to focus on is redemption. We're going to look at, at this through, throughout the, the book of Exodus. In some ways, the book of Exodus can see, be seen as a sequel to the book of Genesis. We look at the book of Genesis and we see that at the end of it, that Jacob and his family have all made their way down to Egypt. Great famine in the land. They've been reunited with, their, with, his, with his son, Joseph. They lived in that land. 
and all was good. In fact, as we start into the book of Exodus chapter 1, we see that the uh, Israelites, the Jewish nation, is prospering. I mean, they're growing in numbers. And about 115 years has elapsed since the time of uh, Joseph's life to this point where there's a new pharaoh. Somewhere along the line, this new pharaoh has either never heard of Joseph or has chosen not to remember the relationship that Joseph and his people had. It's come to the point where now, after many years of, of peacefulness, that this new pharaoh has entered into this land and he sees the Jewish people as a threat. They are growing in numbers and perhaps have outnumbered the Egyptians. And so that's where we find ourselves at this particular time. At the beginning of Genesis, we see that this Pharaoh is, uh, is not happy. He sees them as, as, as a threat, and he takes action to do something about it. The action would, would be that, that the newborn uh, boys, when they are, uh, are, are born, that the Hebrew uh, midwives were to kill them. And so we see that the, uh, the, the, the Hebrew midwives could not take this action. And so, long story short is, while they, they refused to, to do this, Pharaoh then gives the decree that all of the uh, young boys, every boy that is born, you must throw into the, 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 into the Nile, but let every girl live. We see the story of Moses. And Moses is uh, born into the house of Levi, and uh, as, as he is born, his wife takes him into, uh, you know, puts him in a basket and puts him in the bulrushes, you know, into the Nile, watches from a distance. And uh, most of us are probably familiar. Uh, someone once said that uh, when we look at it, this is evidence that uh, Moses was the first basket case of the Bible. Uh, so, but we see this. We see that uh, Moses is placed in the river, and all of a sudden one of uh, uh, the Pharaoh's uh, uh, daughter's attendants went down the Nile, uh, she and Pharaoh's daughter goes down to the Nile to bathe, and she sees the basket, one of her attendants gets it, and uh, Moses is cared for. But, uh, so that's, that's where we're starting this morning. We're starting, so there's a situation here where the Pharaoh has uh, not only... Um, being threatened by the Egyptians and is doing away with the young boys. Uh, but he also, it's the beginning of a slavery and of a time of persecution and oppression to the people that had enjoyed favor for many, many years. But again, God has a plan. When we look at this time that has taken place, again, we've, we've recognized some of the words that, that come into play here. These words of exit, departure, and such. I think that we look through the scriptures, we certainly see that in the book of Exodus that there are a number of ways that the book is broken down. I suggest that in, in uh, the first section is Israel in Egypt, where God is freeing his people. And we're going to look at uh, this this morning, uh, you know, part of it anyways. And what I want to encourage you with is uh, in those 15 chapters, that for next week, I believe it would be chapter 14 and 15, um, we're going to be looking at Red Sea Rules. Now, the, the gentlemen who have been with me on Thursday morning, uh, we went through a little book on this. And next week, we're going to look at some of the lessons uh, that can be learned from this experience where God has led his people out. 
But that, that would be the first part of this book. It's a time in Israel where the first 15 chapters where God is freeing his people. There's themes here that God is the redeemer. He's the rescuer. Uh, he's the supreme king. king. God uh, is in control. And we're going to see in a few moments of the God responding to the cries of his people. Isn't it interesting that thousands of years later that this world that we live in, people are still calling out, they're desiring a rescuer. You know, we're looking for a hero. People are looking for a hero. Who will save us, uh, uh, save us uh, from, from, what, from what we're facing? Who will save the day? Who will save us from ourselves? That's the days we're living in. And there's still a need for someone to rescue us. And the rescue, the only true rescuer has not changed. It still is our, is, is our God. But these are the themes that run through this first, first uh, section of the book of Exodus. Egypt, Egypt is oppressing Israel. Egypt has become God's enemy because God is faithful to, to uh, caring for, the, for his covenant people. And so Egypt is the enemy of God. God hears Israel's cries, and he remembers his covenant, his commitment to Abraham, to Isaac, and to, and to Jacob, that he would bless them, that they would become a great nation. And so God has remembered his covenant. So we're going to see how God calls uh, Moses uh, to free his people. So that would be the first section. The second section is Israel on the way towards Sinai where God travels with his people. And we see this in, in Exodus 15 uh, through into chapter 18. And through this, we're going to see again, God is their provider. He's their rescuer. He's their provider. He's their present God. God led Israel to the wilderness, towards his holy mountain at Sinai. God provided his people's needs during the journey in this wilderness. And though Israel grumbled against Moses and God, God remains faithful. And I think that's important. As we're walking through Route 66, as we're walking through the Bible, I believe that's one, that's one thing that we cannot forget, and that's the faithfulness of God. Despite what man will do through, as we go through, the, especially the history of, uh, of the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament, things do not change. We can grumble, we can rebel, we can sin, but God remains faithful. The last part of the book is Israel at Sinai. And again, God is in this, this section from 19 through the end of the book, uh, is instructing and organizing his people. What we have here is actually another new beginning. It's the beginning of the formation of the nation. They were God's people, but through the book of Exodus, we see this nation is being formed. God is their king. It's a theocracy. God is their king. Now, we're going to see that's going to change quickly down a few, a few books into the, the Old Testament narrative of, of, of uh, First and Second Samuel and into Kings and Chronicles, obviously, as we look at the history of Israel. But at that particular time, God was their king. He still would be their king, but they wanted an earthly king. But we won't, won't jump ahead. God is just and merciful. God is with his people. And God wants to relate personally to his people. God wants to see them formed in a healthy relationship. And that's what the giving of the law was all about. That these people, his people, would know how to live. They were, they were boundaries that were given for their safety. They were boundaries that were given that they might recognize who their God, their king, uh, is. 
So this is all part of this, a bit of an overview as we're beginning the book this morning. Genesis was beginnings, and while there's some beginnings that are still taking place, we're moving deeper into a time of deliverance and certainly one of, uh, of redemption when we look at the book of uh, Exodus. God rescues his people from slavery and the bondage of Egypt and again is forming them into a nation, a nation that he has promised again through the forefathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they would know much blessing. God's rescue. God gives the law to Moses, the laws for the safety of his people, and to show Israel what it means to be God's people in the midst of other nations and others people, other peoples. So this morning, that is a bit of the backdrop, a bit of the foundation that we're going to be going to. But we want to come back to Exodus chapter 3. And for a few moments, I want to talk to you about uh, God's call upon a man named Moses. Now, many of you have probably seen the Ten Commandments. It'll probably be likely be on now between, between now and Easter. And we have this, this, this story of a man named Moses that visually some of us can sort of remember. But when we look at the scriptures, I'd like you to understand that Moses lived for about 120 years. 40 years, he was found in, in the palace of, of, of Pharaoh, raised and educated. 40 years, he lived in the wilderness. And 40 years, he would be used by God to, to lead his people. But when you read the passage that Donald read for us earlier, Moses in the burning bush found in Exodus chapter 3, I think it's incredible that we see the reluctance of Moses. I think part of it might be due to the fact that while he recognizes God calling him, he doesn't know God, but he will. But listen to the excuses. In fact, I, I, was, I made a list, and maybe you could uh, add to this list. Excuses we use when God asks us to do something. Okay, just to protect you, I will say there are excuses that I use when God asks me to do something. Because I know you're far more spiritual than I am, and, uh, and I can accept that. Okay. Excuses that are used. I can't. Let's see if any of these resonate with you. I don't know how. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I'm all alone. I'm afraid. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too middle-aged. I can't afford it. I'm not qualified. I won't. Moses is out tending the sheep in the field one day. You know, and uh, we have this account of the burning bush. And the burning bush, as God speaks to him, and as he draws near, and as God shares with him that he's on holy ground, God said to Moses that, I want you to set my people free. I want you to go down to Egypt. I've heard their cries, and it is time. God has come to the rescue. But as we look at this, and as God is, uh, has introduced himself to, to, to Moses, 
As God has said to them, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at the, the utterance of those words, it says that Moses hid his face. And so I believe that in this particular moment, this man who had been raised in Pharaoh's courts, though born a Hebrew, uh, was having his eyes opened to the God who's calling him. But still, there is uh, an inexperience on the, what this God, our God, the God who is I am, wants to do through him. Moses was called to deliver the people. But I think we need to remember that it is God who is delivering the people through Moses. Moses is no one without the God that's working through him. And actually, that's true for all of us. The work that God is doing through myself, the work that God is doing through you, is not us at work. It's us allowing God to work through us. It's a surrendered heart. It's, it's, it's a will that bows to the will of God and says, here I am, Lord, use me. But we've got a reluctant man here. Let's listen to some of the excuses that Moses says. In verse 11, after God has made his intentions known to him, that God has seen the misery of the people in Egypt, while God has heard their cries, in verse 8, God says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. God is taking ownership for this redemptive plan. I am coming down to rescue them. Moses, I'm calling you. You're going to be the vessel that I'm going to use. Verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? What's he saying? I think there's fear here. I think Moses is saying, in, in so many words, I'm afraid. What's God's response? In verse 12, we read, God said to you, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses is one who's resistant. He's reluctant. And he says, who am I? I'm just a guy that got kicked out of Egypt. I got expelled from the palace. I fled for my life because I killed, killed an Egyptian. I've been sitting here counting sheep, you know, caring for them. And you want me to go back down into Egypt? Justifiably so. I think if you were a fugitive from Egypt because you've killed somebody, you probably don't want to go back anytime soon. But again, I think this is part of the experience that, that Moses is going to, to have in his growth and the knowledge of the God who has called him. God says, I will be with you. How many times do we see that through the scriptures? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For I, the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Were those not the words to Joshua? How many times do we see it throughout the scriptures? Do not be afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled. And we have it right here. It seems to be one of the go-to excuses that mankind has. And God is trying to bring peace and calm to his heart and says, I will be with you. But let's carry on because Moses, this isn't a man of one excuse. He brings forth many. So God has said his part and Moses said to him, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say? 
what's Moses saying here? What happens if I go down to Egypt and I experience some pushback from the people? What do I do then? What happens if, Lord, I take the steps and I go, I'm going to cross this desert and I get down there and I walk in and suddenly I don't really have to worry about uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The people are going, who are you? Well, what's God's response? God's response in verse 14 says to me, it's not about you. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. The I am was a recognition of the all-powerful, holy God of Israel. And so while Moses brings up the excuse, well, you know, I, there might be some pushback. What happens if I get opposition? What happens if they reject me and say, listen, we've heard about you. You were the guy that uh, uh, brought grief to Pharaoh's court. You murdered somebody, and we don't want to have any association with you. And God says, Moses, it's not about you. It's about you going down to the people and letting them know who has sent you. And you will say, I am has sent you. These are excuses that might be new in this book, the book of Exodus, but they're excuses that still continue to fester to this day. So excuse number two is answered, but Moses has got more. In chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, What if they do not believe or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? What happens? Uh, what if? You ever experienced that? Maybe in your life where you've heard somebody that God wants them to, to do something and uh, the what ifs come up? Uh, what, if, what if or what if this or what if that? That's exactly where Moses is here. There's, there's this, um, this sort of situation in his mind, the state of mind that, um, that is now contemplating uh, things that there might be a slight possibility. But then again, maybe they won't happen. But there's this hesitation here. There's this what if that, that are pleasant. Well, God is faithful. And if nothing else you're going to see through the scriptures when God sets his mind to something, God perseveres. And God is not about to let Moses off the hook here. In verse 2 to 5, we read these words. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail so Moses reached out and took the hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that you may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has always has appeared to you. And then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So when he put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. So now... Put it back into your cloak. And he, he said, so Moses put his hand back in his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. We have God showing himself to be bigger than the what ifs. We have God showing himself to be 
uh, a God who's bigger than people. Uh, we have God showing himself with a power that is not known unto man. And so again, see the progression of Moses' excuses. One who's afraid. God says, I will be with you. What if there's push? I might get pushback? God says, it's not about you. It's about me. Moses talks about the what ifs. God shows him that God is bigger than the people and the what ifs that the people might present. Oh, Moses, is three not good enough for you? No, it wasn't. Moses continues on. And we see these in verse, uh, verse 10, where Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Um, here's one of those excuses. Uh, I'm not skilled enough. I'm not talented enough. We, when we go back to my list of excuses, uh, there, were, there were some of those there where uh, I'm not qualified or I can't. You've probably heard it said that God doesn't call the qualified. He calls the unqualified. And he'll supply, supply and bless them what they need. And he, God does the qualifying. And so that's where Moses is. And we see that Moses says, you know what? I'm, I'm not a good speaker, Lord. I, I'm not able. I'm not capable. And God responds and said, who gave, in verse 11, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And so what is God saying? God is saying, you will lack nothing. I think it was Hudson Sailor, that we, a famous quote from him, that God's work and God's time will never lack God's provision. And so when this missionary, this great missionary to the land of China went out, endured much to get here through his experience, was the faithfulness of God. He keeps coming back. God is faithful. How many of you five years ago or ten years ago were in a position where there was something that only the faithfulness of God could provide? How many a year ago how many this past week? God's faithfulness doesn't change. And so here we have, we have God speaking to Moses, saying, I'll give you what you lack. And I have to admit, there are times when I want to be the bean counter. I want to be able to calculate that what God is calling me to do, that it's going to add up. And God says, I'll leave the bean counting to me. If, it's, if, you, if, if you feel like you can't afford it, I've got plenty in my wallet. That's what God's saying. I will supply. Well, is Moses done? No, no, there's, there's one more. And this, is, this is, might be the scariest of all the excuses in the way that it's done. Exodus 4.13, but Moses said, O oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Now, I've had times in my life when I have exhibited stubbornness. 
And in my younger days, I know, please imagine that it's true, okay? And I remember, and you probably remember some of the stories that, uh, that I've told about my childhood. Morris, you need to put the garbage out. Yeah, I'll do it later. Oh, that went over well. And there was persistence of pushing the envelope and wanting to do it my time, my way, when it was convenient. And here we have Moses exhibiting this stubbornness. Imagine God is calling you, and God says, you know what, I'll be with you. It's not about you. I'm bigger than the people. I'm going to supply all that you lack. You're not going to need anything. And Moses said, God, please send someone else. And what Moses doesn't realize is that if God wanted to send someone else, he wouldn't have contacted Moses. And can we, or are we guilty of the same thing, where God is asking you to do something, and you're going, God, would you please ask someone else? Send someone else. There's got to be someone else. I'm too busy. You know what? If God is calling us to do something and we tell God we're too busy, I think we're probably too busy doing the wrong things. But here's Moses, and it's a stubborn refusal. And listen to the response of God. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Now you're entering into the danger zone. This holy God who has come has called this man Moses. And God said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak, and you will teach, what to, uh, and you will, will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. Take the staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. And now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt. Moses goes through this period of reluctance in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Every excuse that he came up with, God provided an answer for. I'm wondering this morning if God isn't calling us to do something. And in his calling us to do something, uh, we are resisting. We're giving excuses. And God has been patient. But God is calling us and he's saying, don't be afraid. I will be with you. It's not about you. You won't lack anything. I will supply. I will be with you. Maybe there is something this morning. Maybe there's something that God is calling you to do. And as he's calling you, you're going, oh, Lord, you know. But what if we were looking to the scriptures? What if we were being reminded again, as, as we were in chapter 3, verse 8, where it says that God says, I have come down to rescue them. 
What if we look over into the book of Psalms and we hear the, the words in Psalm 50 where the psalmist says to sacrifice thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. God's the one doing the work here. We honor him with our worship. I believe with all my heart that the response to this time of exodus uh, in deliverance is going to be a time of worship. That's the response. All those familiar verses that we see over in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul gives thanks to the, to the church in Philippi. In verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It's God who's doing the work in us. Is that not true? Because if we're the one that do, does, is doing the work, it's, we're doing it in the power of the flesh. God is the one who's doing the work. Well, we go over into verse 13 of chapter 2 of Philippians. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We can just flip back a, a few pages to, to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 and 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus through good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In God's sovereign, God's sovereign redemptive plan, he is at work. And in our position of surrender, we say, here I am, Lord, use me. Moses is a great example of reluctance. He is, he is stubborn. And let's be honest, there's a root of Moses in all of us. And God faithfully is saying, I will, I will, I will. What's God calling you to do? Next week we're going to be having our annual meeting. And this is a question that we as a church body need to be wrestling with. Lord, what is it you want to do? What is it you want us to do? And we're not going to be a people of I can't or we can't or we can't afford it. But in faith, we're going to say God is at work. And with hearts of surrender, say, Lord, here we are, use us. Last week, as I mentioned, I was up in Pinoca, Alberta. South Edmonton, just north of Lacombe. And... Uh, Probably one person knows where Lacombe is, my brother Jeff back there. But so here you've got this small little group of 30 to 35. And you know what? They are so excited to be meeting together. And there's not any comments of, oh, we're not big enough, or we can't do enough. They're just saying, God uses. And so as his church, the fellowship that we have here, let's let that be our prayer. God, here we are. We're going to throw out the reluctance, the stubbornness. We're going to get rid of all the excuses. And we're going to say, your will be done. It can be easy to lose focus of the truth that God calls us to do something. That he is the one, that he is the one doing the work. 
and we are his vessel. Let's not get that mixed up. God spoke. Moses, I'm about to rescue the people. I want you to go down to Egypt. I want you to lead them. But I'm the deliverer. Let's pray.